Welcome to Ballet Initiative. I'm Christian Kudnick. On this episode, Damien Wetzel, the artistic director of the Vail Dance Festival. Tell me about the atmosphere you like to create at Vail. I'd love to. Um, I think the what's emerged, because that's how these things happen sometimes. It's like you can say, this is what I'm going to do. But in the end, uh, you start to see the patterns after you know years. And this is actually my eighth season. So I started directing there uh, two years before I actually retired from City Ballet. And I'd been going uh, as a guest artist myself um, since pretty much the beginning of the festival back in the early 90s, uh, where... It kind of grew from uh, going in and literally just uh, very much kind of a gig thing where I'd bring my costume, which I danced all the time, let's say Stars and Stripes, uh, and I'd do my performance and I'd go home or go to the next gig. Uh, so I was very familiar with that sort of atmosphere, uh, which is great and has its, it has fun attached to it uh, in various ways. But what happened with me as a dancer very much reflects the way things have worked out, um, not surprisingly, which is that I started looking for opportunities within that context of you know going somewhere to dance uh, to have a new collaboration or to dance with somebody new or to you know guest in a different context, you know, just expansion being kind of the 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 the, the preferred thing as opposed to simply. Uh, coming and doing, you know, my best number, as it were. Um, so I think what's emerged most in Vail over these last seasons is just that is just growing and growing and growing, where pretty much when you come to Vail, you're going to do something new in some way, shape, or form. It may be that a new, new piece is being created for you. It may be that you're with a new partner. It may be that you're being matched with a musical style you've never worked with. Uh, it may be that, you know, you're dancing ballets that you'd never have in your home company repertoire, uh, or all of the above in some cases where all of that happens. And that's the atmosphere. So, um, I mean, I remember hearing a, a Leonard Bernstein, uh, curtain speech, if you will, uh, no curtain at Carnegie Hall, but, you know, turned from the podium and he referred to, um, is the sportive element a little bit. There's like an adventure feeling where you're there and you're going to experiment a little bit uh, and try something new. And, uh, you know, there's risk involved in that, which I think is, um, in my mind, is rewarding. And it actually uh, pushes people a little bit. Um, but it's uh, there's a camaraderie associated with it because everybody's sort of in that creative mentality, that kind of artistic kind of habit of mind where uh, you are... You're growing, um, so I think that's the that's really when I think of the atmosphere that I that I want, and also I mean it seems to be what's developed. You know that uh, it's things like you know I have an artist in residence program which we started a few years ago, and that was uh, putting a name to kind of things that were already starting to happen, uh, where certain people would stay virtually the whole festival and perform across you know boundaries. Uh, so this year it's Herman Cornejo, Herman, and he's uh, doing his debut in Rubies with Tyler Peck, who happens to be making her debut too. But he's also going to do his first kind of foray into the Martha Graham world. Uh, he's having a new piece created for him by Fang Yi Shu. He's just all over the place. Uh, he's going to do a new, that's new for him, Lara Lubavitch duet with Robbie Fairchild. Um, uh, you know, it's uh, it's that uh, that chance to kind of really 
push yourself out out into a new place. And Vale itself has some characteristics that make that uh, maybe perhaps more feasible. Um, the, the, the two different theaters there. One is an outdoor amphitheater, uh, and it has no back wall, so you look over the stage and you see the mountains. That's uh, a very different look <laughs> when you're dancing, let's say, Balanchine Serenade. Uh, you see the sun or the, the sun going down or the moon rising, uh, and it, everything actually already looks different there. Uh, so that really lends itself to this. So even if you feel like, okay, I know what I'm doing, there's a whole other kind of partner involved, which is the setting, the surroundings. Uh, you know, I have a new piece being done this year, which is um, Shantala Shivalingapa, the Indian classical dancer with Feng Shu, great modern dance star. And... I think, frankly, like the, the, the scenery and the, the, the birds and everything else are going to play a huge role in it in the end. It just has this feeling, looking at the piece develop, how it's going to go. Uh, so it becomes another element that adds to this kind of collaborative spirit. Um, and the other theater uh, is over in Beaver Creek, which is a neighboring town. And that's a very small kind of little jewel box um, theater um, called the Villar Performing Arts Center. And I do special performances there we call Up Close, and it's because it's so up close. Uh, so you really feel like you're a part of the, the performance if you're in that audience. No seat is very far, uh, and we do them in an interactive way, uh, kind of more performed than I would say. It's not a lecture demonstration per se, but there's discussion as well as performance and kind of uh, like an almost open rehearsal a little bit feeling. Uh, you don't quite know what's going to happen. Uh, we'll often repeat things and try new things. And, uh, again, it kind of plays off of the particular setting that we do these things in. Is it different? It must be different. Maybe the question is, what are the challenges doing this sort of program in Vail as opposed to New York City? Well, I mean, there's a couple of kind of basic ones. One is that, you know, like everything, uh, time is your, is your enemy of a sort. You know, we don't have an unlimited amount of time, uh, and people are working in close quarters, so we're, we're really uh, trying to make sure everybody has as much time as they can, and yet there's a pressure. You know, how does this happen? Um, you know, Chris Wilden has created several ballets there, and, you know, it's like on the clock, sort of. You know, we're like, okay, premiere in T-10, uh, and we're just going to make it happen a little bit. But, you know, he's actually described that, I think, as, you know, an incentive. You know, it has that feeling of urgency that's very good. So there's that element because it is a festival, and it's a short amount of time. And while some things are being done before, uh, some of these people don't meet each other until they arrive. Literally, you know, I remember last year, um, Sergei Palunin came in and he was going to do Corsair with Tyler Peck. And, you know, I remember there was a great picture of them literally shaking hands on the stage, the, you know, two days before. And it was like, okay, let's go to work. Let's make this happen. Uh, so there's that. There's that time element. Um, beyond that, you know, Dale in itself, I think it lends itself well to this, to this type of uh, activity simply because of the things I described. You know, it's kind of a building process where... I think my first year there was, you know, maybe three things like that, and now it's just all across the board. It's just that's kind of the way we, we work. Um, so it, it does lend itself to it. Um, I think that, you know, people always ask about the altitude, for instance. They're like, okay, it's, you know, 8,000 feet. Wow, what's that like? Well, I mean, it's it's easy for me to answer simply because I used to do it all the time. You know, I danced in it, so I know what it's like. Uh 
which I can explain to them, and nobody seems to have actually too much trouble in the end. It just, uh, you know, you arrive and you get used to the fact that you're, you're going to be winded sooner. And yet, in the end, everybody adjusts and it kind of they rise to the, to the challenge uh, and it, it makes it all happen. Um, that's, you know, there's, there's that feeling of just uh, adventure. Again, you know, people have that. It's really nice to see people walk into the amphitheater for the first time. That's kind of a fun moment. Um, I remember Savion Glover arriving and kind of saying, oh, wow, okay, so it's like this. Uh, and he was, you know, great adventure spirit himself. You know, he was always coming with live music that, you know, sometimes uh, they'd be figuring it out right there that day up until curtain time in the dressing room, uh, which is just fantastic uh, to have that energy. Do you enjoy running projects like this as artistic director for something that's sort of finite uh, as opposed to, a company. Well, this you know, I'm in this point in my life right now where I am intentionally doing a lot of different projects. It's what uh, what I what I set out to do in a sense was to sample so many different ways that you know on one level dance, but then on the bigger level the arts uh, can can play different roles. Uh, so that that is helpful. I mean, in some ways, Veil is quite structured for me compared to many of the other things I do, because it's it's finite and it happens every year, and it's you know generally that I know you know the dates are roughly similar, and I have expanded the festival over the last years, but it's it's been fairly uh, similar size wise for the last several years. Uh, we've added a lot more community things, and you know, kind of the the layers have kept kept growing. But the number of performances is pretty static, and uh, it's just a matter of how I how I program. Uh, many of the other things I'm working on, I have a bunch of new projects coming this uh, this next year in New York, uh, which we can talk about another time. We should probably focus on Veil just because this is Veil time, uh, which are much more discretionary, you know, and that has a different set of challenges because it's like, okay, what what can you do when there are no walls? All right, what are our limitations? I remember always hearing Chuck Close saying that his definition of how he made art was to kind of paint himself out of a corner. <laughs> he got stuck. All right, what, do I, what are my limitations? And then let me figure out how I'm going to deal with those limitations. Uh, so in some ways, Vail is, is very finite. Um, you know, the other things I've done of all, you know, the Aspen Institute, where I um, direct the arts programs uh, for the last three, three years now, and that started at a very small kernel of an idea of arts and society, essentially. And I've just been building on that, creating new programs that can then be repeated, and we can we can do them. But it's all uh, a matter of what what's been thought of. You know, should we should we focus on you know uh, poets this year? Should we focus on diplomacy? Should we do more economic work? Is that what's the most relevant to today? So they're, in a sense, they're kind of like programs of opportunity. What makes the most sense for right now? What's going to be relevant? What's going to Oh, is this a moment? Is this the moment to really push on citizenship and the arts? Is this a moment for education? Uh, because you do have to make some choices. Um, so, I find myself basing the decisions. You know, going back to your question, a little bit on the circumstance. You know, okay, so Vale is finite, and I've got this collaborative spirit going, and that's how I'm going to program it. Uh, Aspen is geared to society. It's like it's, and you know, a lot of people don't know exactly what the Aspen Institute is, which is. It's a little bit odd because of the title. Um, you know, it makes it sound like it's in Aspen. Well, it started there, and there's a center there, but it's actually based in D.C. and New York, uh, and has you know places all around the world actually. And it's dedicated as 
to how things work together for the good of society. And the arts, uh, the, the proposition was, where are the arts in that? Um, so to me, I'm always asking that question. I'm saying, all right, what's, where's the arts piece of this? Where's the arts piece of, uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, work and trying to, to expand and promote and uh, just enhance the work of arts on the justice system in prison populations in ways that, you know, storytelling is doing good work or theater or music. Uh, and that can be a whole focus. I mean, and you can kind of throw yourself into that and never come out, <laughs> actually. Uh, but for me, it's like what's relevant to this moment. When I think of Aspen Institute work, I'm like, okay, that's that. Um, on the artistic side, I'm most fascinated by, you know, those collaborations and also about emerging, emerging dance, emerging music, uh, mixing things together. Uh, a series I'm creating this year is called Demo, and essentially what that is is performances on a theme, which is something that I've done, uh, I don't know, it sort of happened into in a way. I was asked to start creating galas for the World Science Festival a few years ago, and they were celebrating great scientists. So one year we did um, Stephen Hawking, and it became, what's a performance that's relevant to Stephen Hawking. And I started gathering, you know, forces from Broadway or classical music, or dance, and that led to kind of a theme-based thinking, like, what's a performance on a theme? So demo is going to be performances on a theme. Let's say, you know, on a simplistic level, you could say it's theme of love. But I'm also looking at um, indecision or, you know, gravity uh, and drawing together disparate, you know, multidisciplines, you know, poetry and theater and dance and music and mixing all these things together in performances that uh, become a, I guess that becomes my Chuck Close problem a little bit. Okay, what's my problem to work out here if it's going to be, uh, if it's going to be X theme, uh, which uh, is a good problem to have. So, I don't know, I guess your question was, you know, the choices being made, and at this point I haven't limited myself, I've just been trying to uh, answer the call a little bit. Now, you deal with a lot of personalities, and it's interesting to me the dynamic of the Balanchine no-star system. Clearly, there's stars and have been for many generations now. You bring some of the biggest stars to Vail. How do you consider yourself as a manager of these personalities? Well, I, I can't say it's a problem. I mean, if it is, it's a luxury problem. Uh, I think that the people that come to Vail, and, you know, it's a growing team in, in many ways. It's like I, I, there are a lot of people who come back year after year, and I add to that year after year, um, which does present a problem eventually, but so far we're good uh, in terms of numbers. But they all fit into an ethic. So I, I haven't had that sort of issue, really. And I think if it crops up, it just means that the, that the person doesn't really come back. <laughs> so it becomes less of an issue. It's just that everybody has that same spirit of uh, how we're going to be together, and they're just as excited to see the other people dance as they are themselves in the end and to collaborate. It's very hard to collaborate if you're, you know, carrying on like, you know, you're the, the only thing that matters. Um, so, and, and, you know, it, it certainly starts with... Uh, you know, look at these artists in residence. I mean, someone like um, Lil Buck is, you know, he's a serial collaborator. He wants to work with everybody. He's curious and he wants to know, you know, as much as he can and bring it back and take it. You know, it's acquisitive and it's, it's, uh, it's uh, this opportunity. Um, and Tyler Peck and Robbie and, and, and these, they're, they're just dancing in so many different ways. Um, Tyler about 
two months ago, I said to her, uh, okay, I think we're going to try something new for you this year. Uh, there's this Jose Limon piece, and I'd like you to learn that, and we're just going to go for this. And Tyler's just, you know, yeah, great. How do I start? When do we start? You know, and just, it just becomes a, a yes, you know, uh, instead of the I don't think I can, which is really the, the, the basis. You know, you have, to, you have to be working with people who are, who are willing and excited to, to partake, to participate a little bit. I mean, that's sort of a through line, I think, is that participation element. How are we going to do something more with the ingredients? What else can we do? Um, you know, a lot of the dancers and the different companies, we kind of build it in. It's just sort of part of the proposition, but they do community work. You know, last year, I remember on National Dance Day, Tyler and Robbie were dancing in the middle of town, followed by Little Buck, followed by uh, Matt Harding, who did, you know, Where is Matt? Did you ever see that video? No, uh, I need to check Matt. it out. Oh, my God. It's like, I don't know if it's $150 million or whatever it is. It's this wonderful guy who goes around the world, essentially, all over, and he does this one little dance that everybody can, can join in on. And you see him in everywhere, you know, from the Philippines to Paris to, you know, to outer space. He's like, you know, doing the, the, the gravity machine. Uh, and he's like kind of doing the dance there with astronauts. And it's just, an, it was an incredible kind of mix of ways that dance can participate. But the point being, no one says no. Everybody's like, okay, I'll come to town and we'll figure something out, you know, and get all the, the whole town involved in this uh, instead of, you know, where's my tent? You know, uh, how big is my trailer? There's none of that thinking. I love what you did with Little Buck and uh, Tyler last year. And it just shows, you know, her wearing the cap and sort of doing this hip-hop dance. It was wonderful. And I think she's done an interview with me as well. And she's such a sweet girl, but such a special talent. And you've been a champion of her since, I think, the beginning. I mean, you really helped push her up. And she supported you toward the end of your career, correct? Yes. Well, you know, I consider that one of the great, you know, lucky things that happen. You know, you can't predict how it's going to work out, who's going to dance with you years ahead or at what point in your career, that sort of thing. But I remember seeing Tyler uh, in Jerry Robbins' Opus Jazz and uh, just thinking, oh, I just, you know, I think that girl's just so special. And uh, I'd love to dance with her. And this was, as you said, you know, towards the end of my career, probably 2005. I retired in 2008, uh, and I said, okay, let's, let's try this. And at that point, um, Carousel was coming back, Chris Wilden's Carousel, and I, I said, let's uh, talk to Chris about doing it with Tyler. So we started, and then it became Fancy Free, and then it became American in Paris, and we just started you know, working together pretty much almost, you know, not exclusively, but I danced a lot with her the last two years of my career and watched her grow up and also, I mean, I'd like to think becoming, uh, you know, a mentor and uh, developing, you know, her peckness, <laughs> essentially. Uh, and we that continues to this day, you know, in this way about new roles and new partnerships and, you know, right down to what you described, the, the budget bulgar. Um, with Little Buck, you know, to see her develop is extremely important to me. You worked yourself with Jerry Robbins, and I think you've worked with his, maybe his foundation, that's correct. You do some work with the Jerry Ro- that's, Robbins? Uh, one of the things I've done, yes, since, since my retirement, uh, I founded uh, a program for them called the New Essential Works Program, which was a five-year program. It's just ending this year, and there's still some premieres to come. Uh, and it was, a, it was a response to the financial crisis 
2008-2009, and the point being to believing that commissioned works and new choreography would suffer in the wake of, you know, the devastating financial losses, uh, that companies would be less likely to invest in non-sure things. Um, and that, you know, in the, the counterproductive realm, uh, not investing in new things would be bad for the companies. Uh, so they were going to, you know, doubly kind of hurt themselves. Uh, so we created the directors of the Jerome Robbins Foundation, and, and they asked me to, to create this, this program uh, to sponsor new works for companies and choreographers uh, who would benefit from them along those lines. So it would be companies in, in very much, uh, in the beginning, we were looking for companies in distress. Uh, we were looking for ways to do projects that they would if they could, but they can't, so we will we'll help them. Uh, and that was a, a, just an incredible honor to be able to do. Uh, and to do it in Jerry's name uh, meant an enormous amount to me, uh, to be able to, to lend that force of Jerry's creativity to other young choreographers. Uh, and it wasn't just, there was no, it's an interesting point, actually. One would think this is all about young and upcoming or, you know, little companies that are trying to get bigger. In the end, it became Next Step. What's the logical next step for a company or for an artist at whatever level they are? Uh, because there always is a next step with very few exceptions. So we weren't dealing with, you know, doing, let's say, uh, helping, you know, Twyla do her next piece. Um, but, you know, Larry Kegwin had done quite a bit, and it was like, okay, what's Larry Kegwin's next step? He's got his own company, but has he worked with, what, what scale has he worked in? Or it can be a young choreographer who's doing well and has done really nice things for small groups, but has never gotten to work with, you know, a court of ballet. And you think, okay, so we need to place that person with a company. Um, I was thinking of Emery Lacrone. I uh, went to Colorado Ballet, I remember. It was like, okay, she's going to get to work with a court of ballet. She never has. This is great. Um, and that, you know, was five years, as I said, and we, we still have a few out there. Uh, and that had great permutations that grew over time. Uh, we called it the new program, New Essential Works. Well, after a while, we had Renew, uh, which was the idea that addressing the need that a lot of the time a company will get a new work or a choreographer will make a new work, and it has one season, and then it goes away, simply because it's not new anymore, and it just sort of, you know, churn, you know, churn happens. So the idea with Renew was that the obligation was there that uh, any given company that got a new grant for a piece would then allow it to be networked to another company uh, and lend the costumes, uh, and the choreographer would sign on for that as well. And uh, the choreographer would actually have to go to the second company and spend a little time and get a chance to edit their work. Because a lot of the time, you know, having done a lot of choreography myself, you see it and you're like, God, I wish I could take another whack at that. I have this idea or that. And you just don't get that chance very much because it's done and you're on to the next. So Renew became an opportunity to address that need. Um, and this is all, you know... To me, it's like this is you know opportunity to to get to do these kind of things. Uh, Jerry himself uh, was extremely influential in my career. I mean, he's really the reason I went to City Ballet. It's the truth of it. Um, when I was uh, at, I danced in L.A. Los Angeles Ballet, uh, John Clifford's, which was about uh, it lasted for about ten or eleven years, and then I moved to New York at seventeen to go to SAB uh, with the intention of joining a uh, New York company. And I really was thinking of City Ballet because of uh, my, really, you know, the Los Angeles Ballet under John Clifford was a balancing company. That uh, became, I got the bug. <laughs> it was all about balancing. 
So then I got to New York right in 1984, right after Mr. Balanchine passed away in 1983, and it's a very interesting atmosphere, you can imagine. You know, you're in a place where the great influence has just departed the scene, and there's this vacuum. Uh, so ABT was sitting there, and Misha was directing, and that was an opportunity for me that was existing. I could have gone to ABT. But I quickly became aware there was a, you know, there was a great genius walking around at City Ballet, and that was Jerry Robbins. Uh, and he uh, saw me dance at the school and made um, you know, made it clear that I would be uh, I don't know how you say it I'd be I'd be used it would be good uh, and so the choice was pretty pretty straightforward for me to go where he was and to have the balancing repertoire and continue along that line rather than kind of take a different path and then I was lucky enough that that did all occur and then the first things I did were. Uh, his premiere of In Memory Of, um, which he made for Suzanne Farrell in 1985. I had literally just landed from the school and somebody got injured and I got put into the world premiere. And that was my kind of initiation to that world. Uh, and you can imagine, that's a pretty, pretty great initiation. I was uh, pretty fired up and I, then I proceeded to work with him over you know, the long term until he passed away in 1998. What was he like to work with? I mean, you've had Balanchine steps embedded in you, and you've also had Robbins embedded with you, and you got to work with Robbins. How was he first to work with, and how do those steps and movements feel different than, say, Balanchine? Well, you know, I'll concentrate a little on Jerry because I think it's, you know, the, the first handness is really what you can't help but feel lucky about. And I've certainly observed that, obviously, with. Uh, those I know, like my wife Heather uh, Watts, who I know you've spoken with, um, who had the experience with Balanchine herself as well as with Jerry, that you know the time you spend in the room with someone you know of that caliber, for me Jerry, uh, is singular. You know it has a singular impression on you as opposed to being told you know this is what we think or that's what you know. And there's two different things there, because there's an inevitability about the latter. Obviously, that is what's going to happen. And now I'm in the position where I, you know, if I'm coaching uh, Chopin dances for Hermann, who's going to dance uh, for the first time this Robin's piece called Suite of Chopin Dances just in Vail, I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to deal with this? Because Jerry's not in the room. So I look back on my time, and you try and, you know, mine, essentially, what, what was distinctive and special. And I can remember vividly so many of those rehearsals with Jerry in the beginning being, uh, trying to figure it out. You know, what is he actually after? What is this thing that we're doing that does make it different from the balancing I'm rehearsing next door later? Uh, and it was a very particular sensibility about how one existed in relation to the audience, uh, how one, uh, how one performed, certainly, and that was about, you know, energy level and modulation. Um, Jerry is famously, you know, you've probably heard that he used to say market baby all the time. And, you know, at 18, hearing market baby is really like hearing a foreign language. I mean, what do you mean market? I'm trying to show it to you. I want you to see how great this is going to be, you know, uh, and you're being told, take it easy and forcefully, mind you, you know, not like... You know, literally, like, take it easy. It's too much. And trying to figure out what that meant was the challenge. And I think that, you know, that was a, an aesthetic that Jerry honed over, you know, the course of his lifetime about what he felt, you know, was special. And he described it as, you know, his, in a sense, his ideal performance was 
if you happened to be walking by a room and you looked through the window and you were rehearsing it kind of for yourself and didn't know you were being watched. And then you got something quite different than that, in, that immediacy of there's my audience and I need to kind of angle myself and strut my stuff, which is actually another expression he used occasionally. But um, I, that's what I got mostly, and that's what I try and impart is that there are these different subtleties. There's different ways to perform. There are many different ways to get to heaven than simply, you know, the, what you think you've, you've been given. Um, the range of Robbins, for me, was always about emotion. You know, there's, you know, whether it's dances at a gathering, touching the floor, or, you know, doing the part that Jerry created for himself in Fancy Free. It was about who you, who you, where you came from, who you are, you know. I remember learning dancing at Dances of the Gathering with him um, in the old uh, SAB studios at Juilliard. And we were getting ready to move uh, to the Rose Building, where the studios are now. And so we knew we weren't going to be in these studios anymore. And as it happened, the first solo in Dances is somehow relevant. So Jerry would say, okay, so you've arrived at a place, maybe you've been here before, and you're kind of looking around and remembering you know, what it was like to dance here. Wow. How great is that? You know, to do it right there in the studio where you realize that's just, you know, one of the last times I'm going to work here. Uh, and to have that experience of, you know, working with him in a theatrical sense like that was just, you know, invaluable. You know, so I think, I think a lot about passing that on when I work on the Robbins repertory uh, with the dancers that, you know, that I work with, you know, here in Vail, wherever I am. And it infects a lot of things. You know, I do a lot of work in music as well, how I, you know, work with... Um, it's the stories, too. It's like we're, we're talking here and I'm telling stories. This is the context of, of everything. You know, this is uh, when I work with um, my friend Yo-Yo Ma, who we do a lot of different types of projects with, we end up talking stories. He's telling me stories about, you know, the music world, and I'm telling him stories about Jerry or, you know, the other people I work with in the dance world, and this is how you build an aesthetic, essentially. Uh, and I always want to pass that on. There's, you know, it's like a menu. It's an opportunity. You can do it this way. You can do it this way. What, what's the best way for you? Uh, and that's really got to be the, the arbiter in the end. What's the most true and what's the most appropriate for this dancer? My hope is to come to Vail next year and do a ton of these types of shows and then to dig in deeper with you on there's so many great topics and this is like catching a unicorn and i so appreciate what you're, <laughs> what you're doing in your time here one last question i know you're, you're very deep into i, I pre- appreciate that analogy that's that's a good one i like that <laughs> it's true though i mean i know how busy you are and this is uh this is great and i don't want to keep you from what you need to do and i know that you feel that there's a great importance in art education um being in this game now, if you will, for so long, what do we need to do as art lovers, people who are out, um, leaders in the art community like yourself, what has to be done to ensure that the next generation gets what they need, get the exposure so we can preserve? Well, I think it's, it's, a, it's a big question, and we're, we're a little short on time, but let me try and encapsulate it if I can. <laughs> that was a trap, Damien. It was a huge trap. I should come to Vail. I'll come to um, Vail. Basically, I mean, and this is the reason, you know, it, it, it infects pretty much everything that I do, is that idea that things are not just one thing. So we started by talking about if you're a dancer coming to Vail, almost 
everybody. I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who's literally coming to do one thing. They're going to come and do their little specialty act. That is what I'm working against, whether it's on the stage or in a classroom or any setting that dance or music or the arts come to bear uh, should have a larger context. And I work on that, so, you know, on some national programs through the President's Committee on Arts and Humanities, which I'm on, which is all about turning around failing schools. And it's not to say we are going to teach art. That is, a, it's, in a sense, it's what are the arts going to do in this context? What is this going to do for a child? And how is it going to capitalize on the possibilities that are unique to the arts? So it's kind of both sides. It's like, what is it the arts do themselves that is valid here, that is valuable. And then it's about what is going to be, you know, how is that going to translate? What is the bigger picture in this? And I think the, you know, Howard Gardner, who I'm lucky enough to work with, you know, pioneered that theory of multiple intelligences, that children learn different ways, essentially, you know, breaking it down to nothingness, basically. But that's it, multiple intelligences. It's not just one way. That's, a, that's the arts all over it. It's how you absorb information, how you edit information, how you reconstitute it, how you create, how you collaborate, how you can learn and become, you know, absorb, essentially, how you can become knowledgeable and be able to use information. So when I look at the arts and education, I think that's where I'm coming from. I'm like, okay. And that's on, you know, if we're thinking, you know, on a K-12 or college, you know, that sort of large scale. It's a different question if we're talking about teaching dance you know, specifically, you know, which could have, you know, certainly, you know, I'm working, you know, in a room with, with Tyler, let's say. That's something else. But I have to say, even with Tyler, we're talking about all of it. We're talking about the bigger aspects of context. It's when Fancy Free was choreographed and what that was like. I remember those first rehearsals with her and, you know, who she was and making it real for her, not telling her, like, you're this, but finding that way that the person invests in it. I think that's the last thing I'll say about it. It's just literally that it's the opportunity to create an investment on behalf of whoever's learning, whether it's a second grader, and that's the you know in some ways the biggest challenge of all. You go into second grade, you better be ready to use your wits and figure out how this is relevant to them to engage them in a way that they'll find not only you know just entertaining because that's pretty easy. We can all find ways to be entertaining, but how is this going to be useful that then they will stand up and participate? And I think that's, you know, there's a participation gap in education. That's what learning is all about, finding ways to get people to engage. And the arts are uniquely situated, so it's about trying to find the material and the, and the people who are able to do that and understand it. So, and that infects everything. That's, you know, it's Vail, it's, it's education, it's the Robbins program, it's those next steps, I guess. Um, and that's, uh, you know, when I work with dancers, companies, you name it. I'm, I think that's what uh, has evolved. You know, I mean, going back to what you asked right in the beginning, you know, what's the atmosphere? I guess, and I said, this is how it's happened. <laughs> so I think that's what, what must interest me. So I think it's, that's where, that's all across the board, it looks like. Thank you for your time and your great work. Please send my best to Miss Watts, and hopefully we can do this again. I hope we can uh, reconnect and go a little deeper next time. Absolutely. Let's do something in the fall. We have these other projects coming up, actually, some things in September. Uh, we have a big show with Little Buck as part of Fall for Dance in Central Park, uh, which is a little, uh, it's going to be a scene from a bigger project I'm developing for him. And then this demo thing gets underway in late September. So I uh, look forward to speaking, and uh, congratulations on all of this. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. 
Damien Wetzel, the artistic director for the Vale Dance Festival. It's Christian wrapping things up for this episode. If you'd like to learn more about Ballet Initiative, perhaps make a tax-deductible donation. You want to learn about winter and summer intensives. Or you want to listen to the podcast. We've got our archive at BalletInitiative.com. For Ballet Initiative, I'm Christian Kudnick. Thank you.